You're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course spoilers, and we will go into detail about the topics we discuss, so if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. In this episode, Major Spoilers returns, Watchmen in Trouble, Atomic Robo, and The Runaways is a hit. And before we get into it, we probably ought to talk a little bit about the show. Of course, I'm Steven Schleicher, the person who runs Major Spoilers and who over the last couple of weeks and months have thought about, oh, wouldn't a podcast be be nice? Another podcast for you to listen to and occupy my occupy your day. But a couple things about our show. Number one, our panel isn't loaded with recognized members of the industry. So we are a bunch of nobodies. Well, nobodies in terms of the industry goes. Number two, no one's written or plans on writing a comic book. Number three, we never will have a four-hour show. Uh, We won't name drop because, frankly, we don't know anyone in the industry. That's true. That is true. Our podcast only comes out once a week. We don't have time to publish a daily hour-long podcast. And for now, we don't have any call-in numbers, but that may change in the future. Uh, So let's go ahead and meet everyone who's on the crew. Of course, my name is Steven Schleicher. Everyone knows me from the Major Spoilers website. I am an instructor, a video professional, a pro writer, a podcaster, and an all-around comic nerd. Uh, I've been reading comics for about 30 years, and my favorite titles that I probably read each month are any of the Batman titles. And the last little question that I have for everybody to answer are bag and board or leave them on the floor. And I do bag and board all my comics and I keep them in drawer boxes, although drawer boxes is not a sponsor of the show yet. It sure would be nice if we go on. Uh, let's go ahead and meet the other two members of our podcasting panel. Brian, why don't you go ahead and start? All right. My name is Brian, and I work in the video industry, uh, reading comics for uh, off and on, I guess, uh, probably yeah, about around 30 years, I suppose. Uh, top of the stack, right now I'm not actually actively participating in any titles. I'm kind of... Uh, the person, your friend that uh, you lend comics to and say, uh-huh. oh, you've never heard of this one. This one's great. Uh, what do you mean you've never read this? So I get the benefit of being around other people who actively read a lot of things. Um, I think what I would say is that uh, one of the titles I think it's really important to me, a friend loaned me a number of years ago, was Kingdom Come, which I just found fascinating. I thought it was a really great take on Superman. I'd never really been a big Superman fan up until then. I thought that reimagining of him uh, was something that was really important. Um, also, that friend gave me Astro City, which I thought was a fantastic title. I loved the way it was written. Um, and so those would probably be the two that I would cite as important influences. I follow major spoilers. I loved when it was up. I was following all the storylines. Um, Wikipedia is really important to me, so I can go and take a look at things that I don't understand or things that I've heard about go back. And uh, as far as comics we just pretty much uh, use them my son does have a subscription to justice league unlimited and he just thumbs through it so much that there's no point in bagging or boarding or anything (laughs) they're just on the shelf and he goes through them all the time cool all right that's brian and now we've got the third member of our panel of the regular member rodrigo hi uh, i'm rodrigo um i'm also a tv guy um right now i'm not really reading anything i'm mostly just angry um, about uh, sort of editorial decisions, stuff like uh, Brand New Day and um, all the stuff that's going on at DC where they're trying to sort of getting ready to reshuffle their universe again. So stuff that I do like, that like uh, Sinestro Corps, 
Excellent um, series. I don't I don't know if that's gonna stay, if that's gonna go, if it's gonna get reshuffled. You know, it's like you're. I feel like that series is gonna become nullified essentially. Um, stuff that I really like. I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of Runaways. At least the first sort of three trades, and we'll be talking about that today. Um, as far as uh, what I do with my comics, I used to bag and board them. But I started running out of space, so to conserve space, now I put several comics into a single bag, which I'm sure is awful, because if you get any moisture in there, <laughs> they'll all stick together. Um, I'm, uh, I was actually born in Mexico, so the first comics that I ever read were in Spanish, and the, um, a lot of the comics that I did read, they all come down, like all the characters come down to a single editorial. So I would see pages that like for ads that had like Superman and Spider-Man and the same thing and Hmm. like Batman and, you know, any like Thor and the same thing. And I never knew about the distinctions between companies until I finally moved to the US and started actually collecting comic cards and then eventually got into comic books. So we've got one person who really pretty much buys everything on the DC list. Somebody who hasn't really read a lot of comics except for those that he's been loaned and someone who's just got a totally messed up view of how the comic (laughs) industry works. Yeah, pretty much. That's kind of our panel. Uh, So each week what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at some of the top stories that are on the Major Spoilers website. We'll be talking about a current title that's in the run, and we'll try to take a look at a trade paperback. So we'll actually be able to get some good experimentation uh, with Brian, especially as somebody who's kind of been out of the comic scene and kind of uh, floating stuff his way. So probably the big top story of uh, this week, for those of you that are listening to it this week is the return of the uh, major spoilers po- or the major spoilers uh, website. Uh, we decided, or I decided, I sat down over the Christmas break, totally bored out of my mind, and I thought, you know what, we can make this this website work. And I thought I'd bring it back. And I know Brian and, and Rodrigo, I was really surprised when when both of you said that you were reading the website. What did you like and, and not like about major spoilers? Or are you excited about the return of the of the website? Well, I am. Uh, like I said, not being in a position really. Uh, that I'm following a lot of uh, storylines. What I was doing was following uh, most of what I was reading were these standalone, like 52. Right. Um, and the storylines with those, because I felt like I could jump in with not a lot of information, kind of follow what was going. It was a finite story. Um, and so I was really enjoying that. That's what I was, that's what I was reading. I think the point um, that I would make was that, you know, you weren't spoiling really anything for me. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been something... Like I said, I don't, and I'm not in the habit of buying comic books. Actually, I, I think what you were doing, you were helping spread their brand um, mm-hmm. and keeping people interested in talking about comic books, which I think uh, you know the industry really should want people to well, do. And, th- and that was interesting because when in October, when I made the announcement that the site was going to close down, at the time that was going to be a, a permanent shutdown of the site. And the number of people that wrote on the message boards and contacted me via the email said that you know. This is the site that got me into comic books again. This is what made me start to want to read comics and collect comics, and I found all of these comics that I probably would not have normally read had it not been for your website really covering these in depth. And certainly Matthew, with his reviews, um, really went into detail with stuff, and of course the <laughs> ones that I could do. And then the the big favorite, and this is the one that, again, many people have been begging for, are the hero histories, and, and we kind of started this. Uh, with in mind that we were going to try to cover all of the Legion members that have ever been uh, members of of the Legion of Superheroes, past, present, or future. And we've got 
something like 20 of those done already, and, and the next one that's launching uh, this weekend is is the Hero History of Monel, and that's something that will go over, I think, really well with with uh, with readers. Yeah, I think people love Monel. Hey, it's the it's the guy who spent most of his life trapped in the Phantom Zone. I mean, he can't have much of a social life, but uh, apparently, he's one of the most uh, intense uh, characters that Matthews had to do research on in order to get the to uh, to write the uh, hero history. He thought that maybe Superboy uh, or Tom Welling Prime, I should say, uh, being the uh, the one that he would spend the most time on. But I was looking at a advanced uh, rough draft that he was working on, and it's pretty detailed. So, major spoilers back this week. Everybody can rejoice. Uh, please tell your friends about it. Please uh, send everyone to the site and spread the word. And I would like to see hundreds of thousands of people uh, on that website really soon. Uh, who here has read The Watchmen? Everybody read The Watchmen? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like it? Hate it? Well, this is one of those things. Um, Rodrigo says, you know, The Watchmen. I hear reference to The Watchmen all the time. Uh, went down to the public library, which I would encourage any listener to do. They've got a pretty – they don't have a great selection. I mean, they've got a pretty extensive selection. There's some stuff Well, there. some people's public library yeah. does. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's some things there if they had some people advising them. That, you know, th- this is a touchstone. You know, you need to have these. But anyway, got that. And read it, and and I liked it a lot. Um, the one thing that I thought was funny is that Stephen and I kn- have known each other for a while. and uh, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, in college, they had a marathon of um, – now I'm going to lose MST the name. 3K? No, the uh, uh, not Twilight Zone, the other one. Outer Limits. Outer Limits. Oh, right, right, right. And the show that played – Architects of Fear? Yeah, Architects of Fear, yeah. which we thought was the, the, the neatest name. And yeah. then as I'm reading Watchmen, I'm thinking, well, this seems really familiar to me. And then even at the end of Watchmen, they make a reference to it, which I thought was cool. Um, but, yeah, I liked I liked kind of reimagined characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I thought that, you know, you can see other characters in it, but you can also see uh, something new stretching these characters, these archetypes. Well, Hollywood's been tossing this title around for for years ever since it came out uh, it's been handed from one studio to the next and no one's ever taken up the project until warner brothers finally said hey let's take this alan moore title we're just going to go ahead and do it we think that it's viable we're going to hand it over to zach Sh- uh, snyder who um what's the last film that he just did rodrigo um 300 yeah and um and they've been shooting since so early last year uh on the watchman movie and now it looks like the Watchmen movie has been put on hold because Fox, 20th Century Fox, uh, has a lawsuit, an injunction to stop production of the uh, of the movie. According to The Hollywood Reporter, they say that Fox has had the rights to that uh, film between 1986 and 1990 and that they had given some of the rights using a quit claim to Largo International, which is um, – I forget what – uh, who's the head of that company? But the uh, but the understanding was that Fox Studios or 20th Century Fox held the exclusive right to distribute the first motion picture based on The Watchmen. But then the Largo International Company folded, and the rights got passed around from studio to studio. Uh, Fox said that it was okay if uh, the head of Largo went ahead and did this, providing that he paid a fee, a buyout fee, uh, to the uh, to Fox. And apparently along the way, that fee was never paid, and so Fox is uh, taking Warner Brothers to court to uh, stop production of the movie. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. No. no I, they're just going to shell out the money at this point, I would, I would imagine. And I think it's all a conspiracy. Like, 
Fox was sitting on it on purpose, right. waiting until they just couldn't go, like, couldn't backtrack and stop production. And then they're like, oh, by the way, uh, subpoena. Well, yes. And, and well, the story, not, not that they're exactly similar, but it reminds me of the story that I've heard, and I don't know all the particulars, about the Fantastic Four movie that Roger Corman made. Um, oh, right. He mm-hmm. made the movie because uh, the company to secure those Fantastic Four rights had to produce a movie. They shot this movie, and, and I think I found clips of it on YouTube. It's horrible. <laughs> it's a horrible movie. <laughs> it's really cheesy. Mr. Fantastic with these fake styrofoam arms. Yeah, and... although I'll tell you, I like the way they imagined the thing. I did, actually. too. I did like that. Uh, but then uh, there's another, um, well, Silence of the Lambs. Um, was a movie that got made by a company, the De Laurentiis company actually owned the rights to that series of books. They they did the first one, Manhunter. It mm-hmm. didn't do well, so they decided to pass on Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs obviously was a big hit, and that's why they went ahead and produced Hannibal, uh, the De Laurentiis, I think is I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yep. And uh, it's because, yeah, they owned these film rights, and they had passed on it. So I think we're probably going to see a Watchmen movie in the theaters real soon. I think it's kind of a dick move, personally, that uh, that Fox is pulling this, especially that it went so far as to go to court, where normally these kind of issues are settled out of court with, as Rodrigo said, a huge sum of money. Um, Brian, you got an interesting letter in the mail this week. Hey, right here. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people <laughs> are fans of the Teen Titans Go television series. I know my wife gets driven insane every time I walk around the house. T E E N T I T N S. Now, okay, but Teen Titans. Titans. Now, is that is that different from the Teen Titans? Because I'm familiar with the first few seasons. Is right. It, is it's it the same different? as the Teen Titans Go comic book. Okay. Essentially, you okay. know, that's my understanding. But it looks like. Um, DC is going to get rid of Teen Titans Go. Well, they're also getting rid of uh, Justice League Unlimited. No! Which is, <laughs> which you got is, a letter about this. Yeah, we got a letter actually just the other day that says that, uh, notify you that Justice League Unlimited has been discontinued with issue 55, so, uh, scheduled for delivery. Now, we get it through the mail, so right. we get it two, three weeks after it's on the newsstands. Uh, it's uh, May will be the last issue, and subscription will automatically be transferred to Super Friends, mm. which raised red flags with me because I'm old enough to remember the old Super Friends, which was cool when I was a kid, right. and it's awful, awful now. now. <laughs> Do you, have you watched any of those DVDs? No, but I uh, caught there on Boomerang. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I cut them right. on Boomerang, and yeah. and uh, yeah, man. I mean, it, but back then when I was a kid, that was the only thing that was on. That was the only superhero stuff. So it, it's, I mean, it's amazing now the amount of stuff and the quality of things that you see in animation. Uh, but yeah, the Super Friends. We have to look at the title and see if it's something that we we like. But I've told you before, I wasn't terribly overwhelmed with Justice League Unlimited. Uh, the first few issues we got, which were written by the creator, I think, and I don't know his name. Paul, Paul or uh, Bruce Tim or Paul Dean? Yeah, well, no. He's... No, it was, this was somebody else. But okay. Like I said, I don't know who it was. But I, they would have a, I probably know who you're talking about. They, they tended to have a moral, and one of the ones I'll cite was there was one with... Um, Metamorpho, and it was really good. He was doing all the stuff himself, and everybody was complaining. At the end, he learns that teamwork is best. Um, some of them would come out, and and it seemed like this was a reject from another title, and they just decided to print it as Justice League Unlimited. Mm. It would have so much story. There was one with Zatanna and Doctor Fate that was so convoluted and difficult to read. I didn't enjoy it, and and I've got two little kids. Um, and I don't believe that they could follow it or enjoy it. And so at times I just didn't think that they were really 
maybe there wasn't somebody in place that was strongly advocating for younger children. And I think it's important to to decide what market that's for. And, and we're going to talk about uh, children in comics in a, oh, a couple episodes down the road once we get some things under our belt. But one of the things that I saw over at the Titans Go Forum was that Teen Titans Go was going to end and the res- and subscription was going to be replaced with Tiny Titans. And uh, Tiny Titans, the first episode or the first issue is actually released this week. It's kind of like Teen Titan Babies, if you wanted to think of it that way. We (laughs) did get an advanced copy of this, and uh, I'm giving it to Brian for he and his seven-year-old son to look over and see if if what they think about the title. To me, it kind of, yes, it looks very childish, but at the same time, it still has some, I think, older kid sensibilities. I think some of the jokes are... Really geared towards toward towards some older kids. Yeah, let me. But that sucks about Justice League. Yeah, let me let me say something to the folks at Marvel. You produced a one shot of Word Girl, which is a PBS cartoon. It was fantastic. It was a one off issue. It was just for promotional purposes. But the people who make that show, uh, it's really well written. Uh, adults like to. I enjoyed watching it because my kids watch it. And I would just if they would pick up a title like that. That first issue was almost to me, a picture perfect of what a children's comic should be. It was real simple, but it was fun to read, and uh, the the Butcher's got to be one of the funnier villains. Yeah, he's pretty funny. <laughs> I will admit I have not seen that, but <laughs> yeah. we'll come back with, in a couple of weeks with um, a look at Tiny Titans. We'll have a full review on that. Uh, but speaking of Justice League Unlimited, this weekend, uh, beginning this weekend, uh, the 17th of February, uh, is the International Toy Fair in New York City, and one of the things that it's uh, being slipped out or being leaked out is that uh, there'll be some new Justice League Unlimited Mattel figures that come out. And what's m- most interesting about this line is there's 13 figures total. Only one of them is going to be a Superman repack. And I think there's also a Dark Side repack. Uh, but we're going to see a lot of the new gods make appearances in this in this collection. And i got to tell you, if there's one thing that I like more uh, of all the action figures that I've collected over the years, the animated series type stuff, whether it be Batman and Superman, the animated series, or what they did with uh, the JLU. I love these figures. Yeah, the really great thing about these is that, you know, for the cartoon, um, when they made them, they really simplified the characters. Right. And really looking at it, I, you know, looking at that, I I always thought, how are they going to make a toy out of this? Because almost the the fact that they're so two-dimensional is kind of what makes them cool. But I think a lot of these action figures have really captured the proportions of things and really almost the cell-shading coloring mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. And, and, Brian, I know your kids are crazy about these, these action figures, right? Yeah, and, and I agree. I think the design of what they've done is just really cool and very classic. And... Uh, yeah, the the only thing I'd say is when they when they talk about repackaging, I, we've got enough Superman. I, I think so too. Enough Superman, enough Wonder Woman, enough Batman. I don't want to see any more of those figures. I want to see I want to see Mattel put out every single DCU character ever ever made. Yeah. Now, yeah, in order to do that, though, the one thing that kind of annoys me it does cut down production cost, but the one thing that annoys me the most is that. They use the same sculpt of the figures from one character to the next. So oh, yeah. the torso for Batman is the same one on Superman, is the same one on on the Question, which is one of the new figures that are coming out in this line. That gets old really quick. Uh, you look at uh, I was looking at this Lex Luthor character that we picked up at um, 
Toys R Us over the weekend, and he's got the same grip as Firestorm, as the same grip as the Green Lantern, and it's just that's the one thing that I don't like about it. Yeah, but you know, from uh, I for me, for someone who's not collecting them, uh, the kids are just playing with them. It doesn't bother me so much because I don't really look that close. But I do agree with you that. Uh, I think we get more excited when we see, oh, what's that character? And again, talking in a sense of marketing, um, if there's a new character, my son wants to know who it is. I end up at Wikipedia looking up their history. And that all that does is generate another person's interest in comic books yep. and another potential customer. So yep. I think it's good for them and it's good for consumers. Well, I hope this toy line continues for a long time. Although the other thing that I heard... And again, this is just a rumor. I'd have to go back and see where I got the rumor from. But the rumor is, and this is a problem that I've had being stuck in this podunk town for forever, Walmart does not carry the Justice League figures. Uh, they only carry the Marvel crap. Uh, sorry, Marvel, but uh, you know I don't need some of the, those figures. Uh, I've had enough Spider-Man. Uh, but apparently only Target is going to be the exclusive carrier of the Mattel Justice League figures, and that's really a bummer because the closest Target is an hour and a half away from me. Yay. Not yeah, me. yeah, you're going to be I, I making actually, some runs to the store for me. Let me just say <laughs> that, Brian. Um, so those are some of the top stories. Please uh, check out Majorspoilers.com for more of those uh, as we go through. And why don't we go ahead and get into our first review of the night. It's Atomic Robo from Red 5 Comics. Uh, Red 5 Comics announced in October of 2010 that uh, Brian Clevenger and artist Scott Wagner were going to bring together the larger-than-life exploits of Atomic Robo, an atomic intelligence created by the famed inventor Nikola Tesla in 1923. Uh, Robo finds himself entangled in some of the 20th century's most important events, from the Second World War, space race, and civil rights movements, to the defense of Earth against all manner of catastrophes. Now, we know uh, Brian Clevenger from uh, 8-Bit Theater, and we know um, Scott Wagner, uh, from Killer of Demons, who did all the art on this. And the first issue we reviewed up on the Major Spoilers website, but since then, uh, I've read all the issues up to issue five, which has just come out. The The other members, Brandon Rodrigo, have also read the issues. The first issue, I have to say, was a perfect way of setting up the introduction of a new character. Here are these things going on in World War II in Germany, and we need to send the secret agent to... Um, to stop the plan. And all we see in the first panel that we, we are introduced to Atomic Robo is that uh, he's going to be given American citizenship if he does this. And he's all in silhouette except for these big blue circles, which could be a robot. It could be uh, glasses and light reflecting off the glass. And then as he's dropped into these this camp of Nazis, it just becomes funnier and funnier. And I think it really tells a great story and sets up this whole six-issue arc of of the main um, of the main villain. Thoughts? Well, um, I started reading the first issue, and I thought to myself, "Man, oh man, I should be loving this. It's a robot with with a freaking revolver." Um, That's true. He's got. He's cool. The drawings are awesome. He's fighting Nazis. He's a uh, proto-atomic era, atomic hero. That's great. But I, there was something about it that I just couldn't put my finger on that I didn't what? like. Rodrigo, what's there not to like? I mean, he's fighting Nazis. 
and the Nazis are bumbling all over themselves trying to throw bombs at him. They don't destroy him. Gun, the bullets shoot off his chest. He's dealing with supernatural characters, and later on in another issue, we, he battles Rasputin and that evil Thomas Edison guy. Yeah. I mean, and come on! Here's, here's the thing I didn't like about it. I finally realized is that it's too much like Hellboy. I was I was yeah. reading through it and I thought, you know, here's a basically indestructible, eternal, wisecracking, revolver wielding, Nazi fighting character who isn't magic like Hellboy, but in a lot of ways, especially even the art is Mignola esque. Right. And um, unfortunately, I mean, a lot of people have compared it to that, and I know Scott has has been really upset about people that compare him automatically ooh. to Mike's work, but Look at the fingers. This is one of those Magnolia uh, uh, staples is having those squared off fingers uh, in all the characters. And you see that there and you instantly start thinking, this is Hellboy. Yeah. Well, and and again, I'm the guy who doesn't read a lot of (laughs) – that sounds really good. I don't read a lot. (laughs) Nerd. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I had read I think maybe two Hellboy and then I also read uh, just a novelized version of it. And without any prompting, I was reading this and – Rodrigo happened to be in the room, and I was like, "You know what? This seems like Hellboy," and which was his reaction too. It, it, it just has kind of a look in the story. I like, I liked it a lot. Um, what I like about it is the uh, kind of what I liked about Astro City. Stuff happens, and the author doesn't feel the need to tell you everything. But you trust and you find out that you're going to find out that stuff eventually. Um, and right, that's yeah. kind of the – I like that kind of writing style that, uh, you know, there would be these things that would happen. And especially on the first issue, I was like, well, what is that? And I'd try to figure it out. And then I'd realize that I'm going to be told or filled in later. And so – and I like the flashback sort of things when he gets knocked out apparently from mm-hmm. the, blowing up the pyramid. The pyramid. The, that's and, the robotic pyramid. Yeah, and then, uh, and then all the flashback stuff. And there's a lot of good humor in it, especially the mission to Mars. I think it's got a lot of really <laughs> – Really funny. Yeah, that parts was in what it. issue three or four? I forget which one. But uh, in order four. to four, get yeah. to to Mars to be the first uh, United States citizen on Mars, they send Robo because he doesn't need to breathe in space, and yet they don't uh, they don't think about what's going to keep him entertained for the two and a half year trip. And uh, Stephen Hawking, who he he pans off as the evil villain in the, in this uh, little segment, uh, pretty much set Robo up uh, to fail. Just putting him in a can and shooting him off into space, so Robo eventually gets his uh, uh, his revenge by spending a couple years on on Mars or a couple months and using rocks to spell out Stephen Hawking sucks, <laughs> uh, so that it can be seen from space. I, you know, you're right. I think this is really a lot of fun. I think in the one issue, and this is something again that, you know, I'm sorry, Red uh, Red Five uh, Comics in comparing this to Hellboy, but. In that first issue, the device that was being used to uh, bring Helsingard, uh, to bring him to power, was the Vril, I think. And I don't know if that goes back to some mythology or uh, of, of some paranormal or whatever. But just a couple months later, in Hellboy, the Vril, that plot device was used again, either in the Vril or Lobster Johnson or one of the Hellboy Amazing screw-on head. Well, it could have been there, too. I don't know. But I think that's probably the drawback. But once you get past that first issue... And you start seeing where they're taking on the, the moving pyramids, and you're seeing him do his trip to Mars. And then in the in the fifth issue, where they are inside, I forget where they're at. They're in uh, Colombia. Where where are they at? Uh, what country they're in? And they're in the um, in the underground tombs, and it's all these zombies that are coming to life and attacking them. That doesn't seem 
too Hellboyish. Well, and I think there's really a couple things that this comic book has going for it that can move it out of Hellboy's shadow. And the most important one is that Atomic Robo has been around in the public light and the world of Atomic Robo is different from ours right. because Atomic Robo has changed the world. He's a super scientist. He's an action hero. Everybody knows him. And Mars has Stephen Hawking's right. sucks written on it in this universe. So going back and exploring how Atomic Robo has changed things over time is one thing that this comic book could use to, to move away from its detractors, essentially. Well, and I, I would assume that would be where they would go. Um, there's going to be one more issue, that's right? Yeah, there's six issues in this in this first uh, six-issue run, and this is where it seems to be the brain of Helsingard has been put back into a robot some, of somehow, and inside this uh, base where uh, Robo and his, and his uh, team are uh, sent to explore, he comes back to life in the cliffhanger in that issue is at last i'm able to get my revenge and you know robo's like ah you know what the hell yeah i think they could split equal amount of time if it went further with telling stories about the past and they actually do that in one of the in the episode on the mars mission Mm -hmm. there there's some of the current storyline but the majority of the book is him back in 76 going to mars right so yeah you can i mean you could have a lot of fun with that the one thing i would be concerned about when you see things like that is it ends up going too far and and the you know the person's now at the Kennedy assassination you know they yeah. they, they they instead of leaving Otherwise well it's enough robot alone, Forrest Gump yeah it it ends up going <laughs> over good. the top and then it becomes it you know silly silly can go so far mm-hmm. and then it's a fine line before and people start going oh well yeah yeah that's too much life is like a box of rivets <laughs> <laughs> but I do I love the design elements uh, I like the simplistic type of art. Yeah, um, kind of square jawed, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like that kind of artwork, so I enjoyed the art, and I thought the story, the wisecracking robot, uh, and fact when they tell when they when they tell him to be ready to do something, and and by the way, remember there's a four second delay between what we tell or a four minute delay between what we tell you now and when <laughs> yeah, you get yeah. it. <laughs> well, and and the fact that I think the thing that hooked me was the fact that uh, we don't hear a lot about Tesla, Nikola Tesla, in modern culture uh you know he's the guy that created alternating uh, current so that we could have electricity all throughout the u.s without having a a um a power plant every mile and a half and he and edison really hated one another and i just love the backup story yeah <laughs> uh, in one of the issues again i forget which one it's a four or five where uh edison comes to attack robo as he's studying for his college exams and he sends the ghost of rasputin to to attack and it just it's so well put together in putting the digs, I think, where they need to be put and really understanding the uh, argument that Tesla and Edison had, I just think really is great. And if I were to give Atomic Robo a rating for the miniseries so far, I'd give it five out of five stars. Yeah, I I like it. I don't have a lot to compare it against, but, um, yeah, it was entertained. Uh, it's a good read. It's fast. And like I said, I like the artwork, so I'd recommend it. Yeah, pick it up. Pick it up and read it, and um, I guess think about it not in terms of Hellboy and see how you like it, and if it just reminds you too much of Hellboy, go pick up Hellboy. Go read Hellboy. Yeah, exactly. I do want to have listeners uh, part of the the podcast, and so I did put up on the Major Spoilers Forum a request for readers to put in their comments uh, about Atomic Robo, and of course, Stacey B., who's always out there ready to comment on on anything, uh, went ahead and posted, and he said, in a word... 
Atomic Robo was fun. In a few more words, it's really fun. With so many other writing, with so many other writers trying to write the witty, sarcastic dialogue, it's nice to see an example of one that gets it and just lets the words flow. Some writers set up jokes only to have them fall flat or sound played. Not here. The jokes seem very natural, easy, and fun. Uh, Brian Clevenger seems to have created a character that has a history and personality and and is, dare I say it, a little unique. Um, Stacy goes on to say that he likes the flashbacks. He's a big fan of old-time radio, and so he feels that these these adventures seem like old-time adventure serials. Um, he loved the allusion to the 50s B-movie Them when Robo is attacking the giant ants out in the desert. And although the dialogue is sparse in issue two, it's, he still says it's fun to read and you get a full satisfying story out of each issue. Um, by the fourth issue, it seems as there, there, though there's an underlying story being set up, luckily the ride there has been a blast. There really is a lot of story stuff into each issue. Besides the main story, you get a little glimpse into Atomic Robo's past, as Brian was mentioning, which really helps round the guy out. Um... And then he goes on and he says, if you can find it, buy it. It is a nice, it's nice to support a company and creators like Red 5, and it seems uh, to be trying to blaze a new path instead of relying on one-trick ponies. Uh, Can you tell I like it? (laughs) Everyone here has said it's a good recommendation. I love this series. I was really disappointed when it looked like it was only going to be a six-issue miniseries and that was it. But the other day, uh, I was looking up, and this uh, pays to do some research before we go into the show. Uh, up on the Red 5 Comics website, they said that um, in a lot of the recent reviews of Red 5 titles, we've been people saying, I wish this was an ongoing series rather than a limited series. Well, guess what? All of the Red 5 titles are open-ended and will continue on if readers demand it. And as proof of that, Atomic Robo Volume 2 is going to de- debut in 2008. So... There you go. More Atomic Robo. It's based around the events of World War II. From there, we're looking at a Roaring Twenties volume, a 1950s jet era air pirates thing, and a bunch of other stuff. So check out uh, red5comics.com for more on Atomic Robo. That all sounds good. I like... I didn't read this ahead of time, so no, that's cool. But when you're talking about it, I, I really think that's exactly what you can do with what Rodrigo said is a character that exists through this long stretch of time. You can isolate the character in the 20s and in the 50s and, and all that stuff and, and make it really interesting, I think. And really, when you think about it, this is the way the Hellboy series, again, comparing it back to Hellboy, this is the way the Hellboy series is run. It's never been a continuing uh, issue one issue to another. It's always been these self-contained arcs that are packaged together as one story. Then a couple months later, a new arc will start with a new number one, that kind of stuff. So now, and now, does that help? Because one of the things I read, I was, uh, I guess it'd be early '80s Spider-Man, and you know, didn't do, go through Clone Saga and all that stuff. Lucky you. Yeah. Um, doing it this way, and I'm asking you guys because you read more than I do, doing it this way, does that help insulate them from getting all of this stuff that ends up dropping on a character that after 10 years or 15 years they're going, oh, why did we do that? And now we have to change things up and try to reset the character? I think that um, really that's that's what a lot of them, a lot of companies should be thinking of doing because let's say you have this cool new X-Men and isn't there always just there's a, always a, more X-Men. isn't there just always a super cool new X-Men that they're trying to push on you like you have three super more cool X-Men, new please. X-Men make a limited series arc in which they get to team up with Wolverine or uh, you know Wolverine Storm and Cyclops or whatever because we always need more Wolverine stories uh, obviously um 
And then you can have that self-contained arc. And then if after that people say, well, you know, I didn't like Lifeguard or Maggot or any of those crazy guys that just sort of pop the, in and out. Are, are those elephant? real? Those are know. real ones? I know yes. that there's Maggot, elephant. Maggot ripped out uh, mechanical slugs from his stomach and had them eat things. And I believe Lifeguard basically had any power necessary to save <laughs> somebody's life. She was like a golden colossus... Act, like I think she wore a red bathing suit. I think she was like a Baywatch Colossus <laughs> girl, and she had wings sometimes. Oh Lord! I'm yeah. glad I don't read the X Men. Uh, well, I, I understand what Rodrigo's saying. I think really, from a publisher standpoint, it's better if they have. We don't know how well this character is going to do, how well this title is going to do. So let's create a six issue storyline and keep it into those six issues. And when it's done. If it was a total flop, at least we can collect it into the trade and make some money on the back end. Or we don't have to worry about it saying that this is an ongoing series. And so each arc that you package like that is easy to go to a trade, and you don't have to worry about it being an ongoing series should it really tank at some point in the future. It's, it's kind of what TV has been doing all along. You just get renewed for 13 more episodes, and let's right. see how you do, kids. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, and I think, too, does, doesn't that increase the buzz because you know you're only going to get so much of this. So now this buzz happens about this, you know, and, and people get all hyped up. And as a creator, too, I mean, uh, working in video, we talk about this all the time. I would rather do a 30-second spot because I can jazz that thing up, but I know there's this finite amount of material. I only right. have to cover, you know, it can it can be crazy with after effects and layer upon layer and upon layer. I don't have to sustain that for 30 minutes. I, 30 seconds, so it well, can be great. Well, even a 60-second spot can yeah. be really drawn out. Yeah. I mean, it, so I think maybe even from the creative standpoint, I can do this arc, and then I'm done with it, and I don't have to keep track of this person and this character, and, and now have I caused some kind of a conflict in the storyline. And Right, you don't have to set up it. And most importantly of all, you don't set up something up, and then another writer comes in, knocks out all of your side stories, brings in his own, and then, you know, you leave your sidekick in the Phantom Zone for three years yeah. until somebody's like, ah, where, where's Crypto? And then they finally bring him back. Another, <laughs> another X character, I'm, I'm assuming? Yeah. Okay. Well, and I, I think also, again, then, from the um, reader standpoint, if you like this six-issue arc and you don't want to read any more, you've still got a self-contained story that is done very well. Yeah, you don't feel like you're abandoning anything halfway through. And that brings us to our trade, big trade paperback review, the first volume of The Runaways. Um, Rodrigo, give us a rundown of The Runaways, collecting Runaways issues 1 through 18, the first big story arc from Marvel. Well, um, the sort of the big, the big question I think that Runaways poses is, you know, all every kid at some point thinks that their parents are totally evil. Well, what uh, do you, well, my parents are evil. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, Mine are saints, <laughs> <laughs> and and that and that is kind of manifested too in the book. And it's like you know, the like kids are like, "Oh, my parents are aliens. I must be adopted. They're so weird." This book has the question: What if your parents are evil, alien, monstrous supervillains, but they're still your parents? And we follow the exploits of how many of them are there? Six, One, two, three, four, five, six of them. Six. Six kids, mostly teenagers, and one sort of preteen. 
as they suddenly realize that there's a lot more to their parents than meets the eye and they're not really good people. So what do they do? Do they f- do they just surrender to them and say, "Okay, we know your secret. Just we we're okay with it." Do they try to fight back? Um, and things just kind of spiral out of control for them there. And I love this book. Well, what what's really kind of cool about uh, this story is you know these kids have a life of of not knowing any want. I mean, everything's provided for them. It's not like they're poor. It's not like they're middle class. In fact, they all seem to be upper class. And so you would think that, hey, my parents, they may be evil, but we've got all this money and we can do whatever we want. So let's go along with it. And they decide maybe we should do what's right and maybe we should try to uh, bring down our parents. And as it's revealed, each one of the characters has some kind of superpower that they've inherited from their parent. One of them has a mutant power. She's very strong. Another one actually is an alien from another planet. Uh, you've got the typical surfer dude who is a, uh, who's got the power to mechanically put things together. You've right. got his parents are, um, are, uh, super geniuses. Right. So he breaks into their, their place and gets a lot of like some x-ray goggles and some like fire manipulation mechanic gauntlets. And of course they have to have some kind of a traveling device. So they have the big frog. You've got another girl who, uh, does magic. Um, the only thing that I, and I like her character the most out of the six. The only problem is it kind of brings up that idea of cutting, you know, she in order yeah. to bring out her magic staff, she has to bleed at some point. Of course, that does bring in a great uh, uh, growing pains type moment where she's able to pull the staff from herself and she hasn't cut herself. And you guys can figure what that is. And you've got another girl who's uh, telepathic. And then you've got a guy who doesn't have any powers, but he's kind of a genius at um, logic and strategy. Yeah, yeah la- logic and strategy. And so they, they try to figure out a way to bring down their parents. And through the 18 issue arc, uh, they do that. I mean, we're going to spoil it here. I mean, this is a series from, what, 2003, something like that. Um, you're right, Rodrigo. I just really love this this first volume. To me, it reads kind of like a episode of 24, where every issue, something is happening, and it all takes place one right after the other. It's not like this. Uh, these first 18 issues of this first volume takes place over a year. It happens over the matter of maybe a week or less. Yeah, and it just it plays out really well. I think it's really well written by uh, Brian K. Vaughn. Um, it the art is great. Uh, the art kind of changes. To me, the art kind of reminds me. It's got a lot of, uh, in some places, some manga influence, which I which I really dig. But Brian, you don't like the fact that you read this in a trade. No, I've got a couple ish, uh, a couple things with this. Um, number one, it, it strikes me as my first my reaction to the first season of Heroes. Uh, watched a few episodes, didn't feel like enough was really happening, kind of lost interest. Uh, if I hadn't read this in a trade, and actually I'm guilty of not reading it all the way through anyway, um, I probably would have bailed on it. Um, was trying to read the rest of it today before the show. Finally got to episode 13, or, or issue 13, when they reveal more about the parents. You can tell we're TV people, because we talk about yeah. episodes. Yeah. But they re- reveal more about the parents and the secret organization, which I found the most fascinating, um, and kind of read through those things, and that's fascinating to me. But what, what Stephen's talking about is that um, I think that maybe if I had read this issue at a time, 
the pacing might have been better. I might have there might have been a sense of suspense at the end of one issue. Uh, you know, that waiting a month, kind of thinking about it in your head. I think, oh, maybe this this person did this or that person did this or maybe this is the answer. And then getting that next issue. Um, for me, I think reading it, it struck me when I was reading through it, reading it as a, a trade that I, it kind of kills all that suspense or cliffhanger, uh, th- you know, suspense that you get at the end of an issue. Uh, I do have to say, reading reading 13 made me want to finish out the series, and I'm hoping that I can read the rest of the trade. Yeah, but, I'll let you borrow it. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> see, <laughs> see, I, I, see how I, he is? Yeah. See how he is? <laughs> a leech. A complete leech. But... Like I said, that that got the thing kick-started. Um, I think if I had been ordering this or buying this off the rack, I might have left or lost interest in it before it ever got to that point. But, now I, yeah, I can really see now, after reading 13 and, and part of 14, uh, why people are into it so much. Because it really kicks up in, in those issues and, and starts becoming really interesting to me anyway. I guess I kind of like... A lot of these collected in trades, and that's why we're going to spend at least one segment of every show talking about collected trades, because I'm not sure I would have ever bought a single issue of this uh, just sitting by itself. First of all, I'm not a big Marvel reader, as I've said, and as many of the readers of the Major Spoilers website know, I do appreciate Marvel and what they do, uh, but I'm more of a DC guy. So just this not being on my radar of um, uh, of a Marvel title, I probably would have skipped it. Now, that being said... After you read through the entire uh, volume, 400 and some pages, uh, you know, there's only three Marvel characters that make an appearance, and they don't even really play a big part. Uh, Captain America doesn't show up until the very end of the uh, of the first volume. Cloak and Dagger appear, which, you know, really, is, as Brian's saying, some of that middle stuff could have been taken out. Uh, but really, it kind of stands alone in the Marvel Universe as something that is, to me, very new. Um, and one thing that I love about it, is that it makes a good, like, it carves a really good niche for itself because it explains why nothing ever happens in the West Coast. Yes. The the Pride, who is this evil organization, they control all crime in the West Coast. Nobody can get in there, so that's why every supervillain attacks New York. Yes, yeah. and that, I thought that was so well done. Um, Actually, I was kind of disappointed. I thought this was a standalone um, mm-hmm. as it went. And, and I kind of like those stories where we don't have the baggage of the rest of DC or Marvel Universe. Right. This right. exists as its own island or an elsewheres, I think, is one of one of the terms. Is DC? Elseworlds. Elseworlds, Elseworlds or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, different universe, not the 616 Marvel Universe. Yeah, so I was kind of, actually, when they started referencing uh, superheroes, because at the beginning of it, he's playing a superhero video game. I thought right. that was kind which, of a take on... Which could on, have been fiction, yeah, right? Yeah, it was a take on that. And and so I was a little disappointed. Um, I kind of like new characters, new stories that don't have a lot of the rest of the universe mm-hmm. baggage. So, But again, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good, good read. 35 bucks, 448 pages. You can't be beat. Uh, this does set you up for volume two. I did buy Volume 2. I've only gotten about halfway through it. Uh, Rodrigo, I think you have Volume 2 as well. Yeah, 2 and 3. I'm just not a... You know, I've, there's something... It's just, as again, going back to what Brian was saying as TV guys. You know, the first season of something can be really, really good. Uh, Heroes, for example. The first season of that I thought was really great. Um, 
Yes, there were some points where it got a little slow, but there was enough ups and downs to keep you interested. Or even the first season of Lost, there were enough questions unanswered that you had to follow the season through in hopes of obtaining that golden ring. Which you actually don't in Unlost. Well, not in Lost, but you kind of <laughs> get the idea. It's really good in that first season. It gets a lot of people interested. And then the second season just kind of falls apart. Well, I think there's that, that strain to, A, build on the world of the first season, which you kind of cap because you don't know if that second season is going to exist. Right. And the other thing is, is you have to top the first season as far as craziness and things that happen and plot twists and stuff. So sometimes that stuff falls flat because it's too forced, I think. Yeah. And and unfortunately, I'm only about I've had the volume two for almost a year and I haven't finished it. I, you know, I love these characters so much. I just plowed through it. And it really, the second the second and third volumes are not nearly as good as the first, but I think it's worth the read. Um, I think the characters continue to grow, and that actually becomes an issue. And I think the in the third trade, Chase turns 18, which makes him mm. an adult. So mm-hmm. they start trying to figure out, and he starts doing some weird stuff. So they're like, well, now that he's an adult, can we trust them? Because the, the group comes together under a sense of we can't trust grown-ups. So that generates a lot of cool um, drama, really. You know, in in this first volume, there are so many different plot twists and turns. In fact, one of the members of The Runaways actually is a mole. Uh, We won't give that away on this show, even though it is a major spoilers podcast, because we want you to read this first volume and and kind of try to figure it out uh, who this person is throughout. Uh, I think, Brian, you were surprised when we kind of revealed it to you. Yeah, I hadn't gotten to it. And and I I had been, in my mind, keeping track of there's a note that's left at, at one place. And I was keeping in my mind, okay, these were the last people that came into this other room, so these could have left the note. But, yeah, I didn't. I didn't see that one coming. And it's, you know, it's an interesting, that storyline, too, in the fact that these kids don't trust their parents and they've got every reason to work against them that, that one of them it remains loyal and yeah so yeah i mean it's it's got a lot of stuff in there i like the fact that the fat chick gets the hot guy at the end of the story oh uh, now you ruined that <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know that okay well see there you go there's Damn a little spoiler you for you there's a major spoiler <laughs> any other closing thoughts on anything that we've talked about today guys are we going to do the topic of who's the best oh that's right live brian batman brian we were talking before <laughs> one of our shows a couple of weeks ago And Brian had a great question, and so we'll talk about it and give our thoughts real quick, and then we'll have you guys battle it out on the Major Spoilers Forum. Brian, bring it up. Here we go. Who has been the best live-action Batman? Now, Stephen fleshed this out with names. I don't have any clue who these people are. But in 1943, (laughs) Lewis Wilson, and that, I assume, was a film serial. Yeah, that was a film serial. Both the 1943 and the 1949 were both film black-and-white film serials. Okay, so 1949, you've got Robert Lowry. Uh, everybody picks up, I think, or catches on at 1966 with Adam West. 1989, you have Michael Keaton in the original Batman film done by Tim Burton, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also Batman Returns. Batman Returns, he did too. Val Kilmer one-shot Batman in 1995. Uh, George Clooney one-shot because it was the worst movie ever made. I would agree made. with you. I would agree with you. 97, George Clooney. I don't think it's his fault, but it's just a horrible movie. And 2005, of course, Christian Bale. So do I go first? Yes, Brian. Why don't you go first and share your thoughts on who is the best 
live-action Batman. Now, again, we're only talking movies and television. We're not talking about the animated series because, hands down, Kevin Conroy would blow all these oh, yeah. guys out of the water. What does he look like, anyway? Could he does he play not Batman? look like a Batman. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm sure he doesn't. All right. Well, he here's... looks like Gorilla Grodd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not true. I don't know what he looks like. <laughs> well, we can always hope, you know. Okay, Val Kilmer is my pick for the best Batman, and this and is why. Well, I think he benefits. Michael Keaton was, uh, you know, trapped inside the suit, and they made advancements every time they made a movie. So I think Val Kilmer is the beneficiary of a more flexible suit. But in my opinion, no one acted through the mask better than Val Kilmer did. Um, he he. You know, he wasn't constricted by it. He didn't seem like he was acting stiff. And again, Michael Keaton was a prisoner of that suit. There was not a lot that he could do. Um, but I just really thought Val Kilmer, I don't think, I wouldn't say that Val Kilmer was the best Bruce Wayne. I think those parts were kind of odd. But his, just his interaction with, um, Tom Cruise's ex-wife, Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. Uh, when when he you know he walks up to her angrily, tells her that the bat signal's not a beeper. He mm. just, mm-hmm. It, to me, I I just thought that he acted the best. He didn't see he didn't seem as encumbered with the suits and the mask and and all of that stuff. And I just thought, and frankly, I don't really remember the movie all that much. But I remember thinking Had Jim Carrey in it. Yeah. Oh yeah, and Tommy Lee Jones on the cutting room floor. <laughs> they just they just destroyed his his portrayal of Two Face. Mm. No, I think he did that. Yeah, uh, yeah. It wasn't a great movie. Uh, I, I thought the Riddler was kind of interesting, but I just thought Val Kilmer more than anybody else um, acted, and I keep saying acted through the mask and and was able to uh, do a better job, in my opinion. Rodrigo, well, I have a I guess I have a hard time sort of separating the movie from the actor um but uh, val kilmer is uh, like a consummate master of disguise like i think he's done interviews where like they go to him and he's wearing like this huge scraggly beard and he refuses to do the interview in character so like he's really intense but for me i think michael keaton has been the best madman because he actually looks like deep down inside he is insane, which we all know Batman is. And I think that as Bruce Wayne and as Batman, it comes across that way, kind of as a slightly disturbed, kind of emotionally stunted person who is pretending to be, you know, a member of society and then just kind of lets loose with Batman. And pairing him with Jack Nicholson, because I think Jack Nicholson really brings up other people's... uh, performances as well mm. the, the, the only thing I would say and not Michael Keaton's fault I think they should have done something about this in stature when he's fighting uh, against uh, Jack Nicholson he's not tall enough uh, and and I think that goes to the fact that there's unreal body images in, in comic mm-hmm. books, obviously. Oh, we should um, talk about that in the future. Episode. Yeah, but uh, just kind of like what they did with the Green Mile when they uh, made Forrest Whitaker? No. No, the oh, other guy, Michael uh, Clark. Martin. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, they that's they, what they it made. Is, yeah. I mean, amazingly made him. I mean, because he's he's a lot shorter than he looks in that. And I think you could have done a little bit with that to make Michael Keaton look a little bigger. Have you ever, have you guys ever seen um, of Mice and Men with uh, John Malkovich? Yeah, 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 yeah. John Malkovich looks huge yeah, in that right. movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Seriously, he looks enormous, and like I think he's shorter than me. Yeah. Yeah. Now the Tim Burton movies, I think they did a, an absolute brilliant job of bringing that to life because the the thing that's been a pitfall for TV shows 
prior to that, the old Spider-Man TV show, uh, they tried to do a live-action Captain America. That might have been oh, actually yes. after oh. Clear shield, yeah. motorcycle helmet. Yeah. Love so it. What, what they did, though, is <laughs> Tim Burton created – I mean, you know, somebody's going to look silly in that outfit. But not if we make the whole world look silly and uh, absurd and strange. I think the uh, the first Batman movie um, really ushered in the age of the modern superhero movie. If it wasn't, if it hadn't been for that movie and a few subsequent failures with other superheroes that kind of made them learn, it's like I, I would place it that Batman movie, then Blade over Superman, what over su- yeah, over the original Superman. See, I think. That was running on Superman, and I think mm, like okay. it's it's a little too campy for me. And then there was nothing after it, like nobody, like nothing of note. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I think you're right. I think that that does deserve a place. So maybe Superman, then everybody failed at it. Then Batman, then everybody kind of screwed it up. Then Blade as a test. Right. And then that's when Marvel really kickstarted things and finally was able to do, you know, Spider-Man and X-Men afterwards. Right. Yeah. Well, and and uh, the amazing jump that Marvel was able to do was to take uh, you know, the heroes and put them in the real world and not make it look absurd. Right. I mean, Spider-Man in in uh, you know, fl- going down the streets of New York doesn't look as bad and they muted the colors and it's all cgi and all that stuff but it doesn't look as absurd as those early 70s shows yeah where, where he's clearly just walking on the ground and they flipped over the camera that's, gr- but, that's what but, made adam but, west look like a crime fighter but yeah. you know what and and maybe this is for another show what's the best tv superhero yeah. and and i think i think they with the hulk it ran forever yeah they moved it around but i think that they actually captured something with yeah. that and Lou Ferrigno I mean you look back on it and anything you look back on is going to look silly now but yeah. but they did a pretty good job with that and that's, that show was on an amazing amazing long time amazingly long oh time. yeah okay now here's my pick I'm going to cop out and and I'm going to I really like Val Kilmer as 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 Bruce Wayne Woo-hoo. okay and as Batman although if you've seen him lately he's not going to fit in any Batman suit the guy has put on a ton of weight. He looks like me. Um, I like Dashing. him. Over, <laughs> yes. Overall, I think he captured the spirit of who Bruce Wayne and Batman are or, you know, uh, the best. Michael Keaton, I like him as Bruce Wayne as the I'm so preoccupied in my own thoughts, Bruce Wayne, that I don't have time to deal with you. So, therefore, I come off as a little strange. Yeah. Okay. I love George Clooney as the look of Bruce Wayne. And he actually, if you can get rid of the big cod piece and the bat nipples, he probably could have been a good Batman. But he went into the into the movie knowing that he was going to play it up for camp and decimated the Bat franchise for almost 10 everybody, years. There's more blame to spread around. I mean, yeah, I, oh, blame, George I, Schumacher I blame Schumacher. Oh, but uh, yeah. oh, I... I and I have never seen a movie, and I've only seen it on cable, where I thought so many people were doing their worst work. Because uh, Uma Thurman <laughs> and, yes. and Arnold Schwarzenegger, yes. they're, yeah. they're not at the top of their yes. game Alicia either. Silverstone. Yeah. 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 Now, Chris O'Donnell. I, what I like about Christian Bale, and I'm surprised no one said Christian Bale, because in the next studio over, we've got a uh, little fanboy who's just in love uh, with the Dark Knight and thinks Christian Bale can do no wrong when it comes to Batman. Uh, the thing that I like about Christian Bale is he comes off as the perfect 
uh, badass Batman and the perfect dick uh, uh, Bruce Wayne. Because, you know, Bruce Wayne is really kind of a, a dick at times. And yeah. I think it, that's kind of really kind of played out in uh, some of the uh, recent storylines, especially if you're familiar with the Bat-Dickness meter uh, <laughs> up on major spoilers. I think Christian Bale gets that part down. But overall, I really have to say if we compare everybody, I'm going to have to go with Brian and say I, I really like Val Kilmer the best. Yeah. yeah. And and I like Christian Bale. And, and the other thing, too, though, is that and, – and I know that you're supposed to suspend logic – He's got a lisp of some kind or, or something. And, and you know, the first time you saw him as Batman, if you were in this, if he was in the real world, you'd be like, oh, hey, it's Bruce. You know? Yeah. I mean? yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing for me about Christian Bale, like, here's, here's what I think was good about Christian Bale. He really portrayed, and part of this was the writing. He, he portrayed a guy who, he is Batman, and he dresses right. up as Bruce Wayne. Right. And I think out of all the movies, this was the the one that has portrayed that the best, which is a running theme for the character, I think, in every medium. Oh, yeah. well, and and yeah. by far the best movie. I th- And I think when we had this yeah. original discussion, the best movie was the last one, yeah. was... Um, the Dark Knight. Dark Knight, yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> please don't say Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> hey. But the thing that I thought was funny about Christian Bale as Batman is that Christian Bale has a naturally raspy voice. Yeah. Which so, works very well as Batman. But when he's Batman, he hams that up. So he sounds kind of a little too high-pitched. He sounds like a witch. He's like, ah, I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to eat you, little girl. <laughs> well, you know, the, the whole point of being the Bat... Uh, is to strike terror in the hearts of men. I mean, I know I'm pulling from the shadow, but uh, really Batman is ripped off a lot from the shadow. Maybe we can talk about that in a future episode as well. But this idea of I must strike fear in villains so that it is a deterrent for whenever I'm not out there, they're yeah. still going to be scared. Villains villains are a superstitious and cowardly lot, right? Yes. That's mm-hmm. the line from the first yep. Batman yep. comic. Well, and, and you're talking about future things because I, you know, I don't know how long people are going to sit and listen. Yep, we're in an hour now. It's about time to wrap up. Yeah, ahead, I, mean, but just, I mean, for future episodes, I think the death of Heath Ledger, how that's going to impact the editing of the film mm-hmm. um, and all of that stuff. I mean, it's it's terrible. Um, I think it, I you know, Will they leave scenes in that they might have otherwise cut because people are going to want to see him? They're going to feel an obligation to him. You know, I don't know if that'll impact that or not. So. Well, I've got a, a little special announcement for those of you who are listening to this podcast. Now, Scott Johnson at My Extra Life, he's made the announcement, but he hasn't said who the sponsors are going to be for this year's uh, Nerdtacular in uh, Utah. Uh, but major spoilers will once again be uh, a major contributor uh, to that event. And, of course, the movie being... Uh, the Dark Knight, uh, what is it, Strikes Back, Returns? Returns. Returns. So we'll be in there for that. I'm actually going to make a plans to fly to Utah this year uh, to be uh, attending the event so that my accountant won't be thinking that I'm just throwing the money away. <laughs> Anything else? No. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Don't forget to tell your friends about the show. And be sure to visit the website, Majorspoilers.com. Feel free to drop us an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And be sure to get involved in the Major Spoilers forum. There's a lot of people that are posting stuff every day in all the different categories. If you find something that's not there, just let me know, and we will get it added. Uh, You can find a link to that on the front page of the Major Spoilers site. And next week, we'll be covering the Escapist trade and a lot more. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm gonna rearrange your face if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' shield.
bring back craving And I don't care if spy 